Hello, everyone, and welcome to English with Tim, the podcast where you can learn English in new and fresh ways. The first thing I want to do in this week's episode is to thank everyone who listened to my podcast in 2023. I'd especially like to thank Elisaveta and Yulia, both of whom listened and commented a lot. I really appreciate that, and reading and responding to your comments motivates me to make a new episode every week. Now, in this week's episode, I'm going to give short versions of the best episodes of 2023. I'm going to do this because 2023 was an exciting year for me and for my listeners, and I want to relive the best parts of it with you. And I'm a teacher, so I want to repeat some of what I said. I'm also excited about bringing in new listeners and want to give them an idea of what this podcast is about, so I'm giving everybody a sampler episode. So my criteria for the best episode are not really strict. My criteria include the episodes that got the most comments, or that the most people clicked on, or topics or themes that were so big that I made more than one episode about them, or just ones that I enjoyed writing and recording. Let's get started, in no particular order. Episode 7, The Chewing Gum Accent. Chewing gum English is informal, spoken English, whose pronunciation differs greatly from the official, supposedly correct pronunciations for words that are found in dictionaries and textbooks. Chewing gum pronunciations of words or groups of words sometimes have parts of words missing, mixed together, or with changes in the sounds. Some very common examples of chewing gum pronunciations that probably most people know are gonna for going to, wanna instead of want to, and have to instead of have to. I will give an example of one group of words that has chewing gum pronunciation. That group of words is, is that your? A slightly less formal pronunciation of, of this is, is that your? The long O in your is now an uh sound. So still less formal is that your. In that your, the short I of is has disappeared and the the sound from that disappeared because it sounds very similar to the the sound of is. So first you have is that your, then you have is that your, then you have that your. The next form is the most chewing gum like. That form is zatcher. In zatcher, the t and the y sounds have mixed into a ch sound, so t plus y turns into ch. We can find this same phenomenon of t and then y being pronounced as ch in words like future and nature. So let's go through the pronunciations, the different pronunciations of is that your again, first with book pronunciation, then chewing gum, then back to book again. So first, is that your car? Next. Is that your car? Next. Is that your car? Next. Is that your car? Now let's go back towards a more correct, you know, book-like pronunciation. Is that your car? Is that your car? Is that your car? So, that um, kind of spectrum of different pronunciations of the very common grouping of words, is that your, is just one example of chewing gum pronunciation. In some textbooks and dictionaries, they call chewing gum pronunciations 
reduced forms, or weak forms, but that usually just refers to small words like your, at, and some, and sometimes common combinations like gonna, wanna, and have to that I mentioned at the beginning of this. It's true that chewing gum pronunciation is used most often for the most commonly used words and the shortest words, but in fact chewing gum pronunciation can be heard all the time, including with much longer words. So I suggest that you listen to episode 7 if you want to know more about this this very common and undertaught phenomenon. Next, episode three. I told you it was not going to be in any particular order, so first we had seven, now we've got three. So episode three, my three weeks traveling Tajikistan. I've traveled to a pretty big number of countries, I think around 20, but for a long time I have visited only places that are in my comfort zone. These are countries where either Spanish or Slavic language is spoken so that I can communicate basic needs and sometimes a lot more without using translation. Now, Tajikistan is a country that is at the edge of my comfort zone. It's not really outside of it. In fact, the capital Dushanbe is almost completely in my comfort zone because there's so many, you know, there's so much transportation and the, the level of Russian is pretty high and a few people even speak English. Still, I had, a lot of, I had a lot of fresh experiences in Tajikistan when I visited there for three weeks in February of 2023. Some of these experiences were in the capital, but more of them were in the countryside in places like Bokhtar in the south and Kulop in the southeast. Tajik people were extremely friendly and hospitable, and the food was amazing, and often I'd find the best of the food in really surprising places. My favorite food-related memory of Tajikistan is from a small hole-in-the-wall family restaurant in the north of Dushanbe. The restaurant didn't even have a name. Everyone just knew where it was and what they had to offer, which was rice pilaf. So in Russian, you call that plof. They had rice pilaf uh, that they cooked before our very eyes outside in a very big metal bowl and hot, fresh bread with kimchi and lemon tea, all of it costing about three bucks. Really amazing quality food and just super affordable. The other thing in Tajikistan that stands out was the terrain. 95% of the country is mountains, and I saw some of the most amazing vistas I've ever seen in my life. I strongly suggest you check out my original post on it. There are tons of, tons of pictures there showing daily life in Tajikistan, both in Dushanbe and in the countryside. Let's move on to episode 20, Six Synonyms of Become. In episode 20, I talked about six words that you can use instead of or in addition to the standard verb become. The first synonym of become is get, which is more conversational than become. More often than not, we use get with negative emotions and sensations. For example, get sick, get tired, get hungry, get annoyed. But also there are some exceptions. Get rich, get expensive, get cheap. The second um, synonym of become is turn, which is also conversational and is used only with colors. For example, traffic lights can turn green, they can turn yellow, or they can turn red. And bananas are first green, but they turn yellow, and then they turn brown. The third synonym of become is go, which again is conversational, but sounds very dramatic. Go, in the sense of become, doesn't combine freely with other words. Something can only go black, go blank, or go silent. When something goes black, goes black, or goes silent, the change is instant, dramatic, and perhaps frightening. Like, for example, when your mind goes, goes blank when you're taking a test. Fourth synonym of become is grow, which is formal and found in literature. It talks about a deep final result. If someone has grown angry, that person is now very angry. If someone grows very rich, that means the person is quite rich indeed. The fifth synonym of become is wax, which shares a common origin with the German verb wachsen, which means to grow. 
The meaning of the English verb wax is poetic or literary. Um, wax in this meaning really only combines with a handful of other words. So you can wax ecstatic or wax poetic, but not much else. The sixth and last synonym, synonym of become is fall. Fall in the meaning of become is always with one of three negative things. You can fall victim, for example, fall victim to fraud. You can fall ill if you don't wear warm clothes in the winter, and someone might fall silent when they hear a shocking piece of information. So again, fall ill, fall victim, fall silent. Now that's all the synonyms of become, but I want to point out one thing. I talked about get with the meaning of become, but get has a lot of other meanings too, and so I want to point out that you can learn all of those meanings in episode 6, Do You Get Get? Let's move on to episode 26. Flashcards for learning vocabulary, effective or not. So flashcards are small pieces of paper that have an English word on one side and a translation into the student's language or an English explanation on the other. There are also digital versions of flashcards, for example, on the popular website and app Quizlet. The short answer to the question of whether flashcards are effective or not is that I personally don't have a great opinion of flashcards, but they can be useful in certain situations. I personally succeeded learning one foreign language, Russian, without using flashcards at all. I did use flashcards while learning French, German, and Spanish, but don't think my success in those languages had much or even anything to do with cards. My own students have used flashcards in order to learn lots of vocabulary quickly, and the usual result has been that the person learns the, word them, the words themselves, but not what they mean and not in real contexts. I do think that flashcards can be useful for beginners because the words on the cards are used so often that they will hear or see those words soon and often. I'd also like to suggest some best practices for people who want to use flashcards because they're beginners or because they just like them and have had better results with them than I have. I have four suggestions. First, if at all possible, practice with another person instead of alone. It is so much more interesting. Second, use both sides of the card. For example, if you have to translate English to Russian and also Russian to English, then please do so. Third, you should also say the words aloud rather than just remembering what they sound like in your head. Fourth and finally, go through the cards slowly. Don't hurry. If you want to hear the real-life uh, case stories of students using flashcards and how they helped or didn't help them learn, including a couple of my own language learning experiences, then listen to episode 26. Episode 19, Learn D1 English with Ancient Roots. D1 English, what's that? D1, well, you know that um, typical scale A1, A2 uh, that goes up to C2, um, the CEFR it's called, um, well, it doesn't reach D1, but in reality there is a very high, a very high level of English used in academic settings um, where people use um, you know, very intelligent sounding vocabulary, and I call that D1 English. Um, I'm also not the only person to have used that term. In any case, everyone knows, let's get to these um, roots, root words, sorry. So everyone knows that you can find a lot of words in English that come from Latin. A lot of these Latin origin words contain roots that have identifiable meanings. If you learn these roots, then you can more easily learn a lot of other words containing the same root. I'll tell you an example of such a root. The root vor, spelled V-O-R, or sometimes um, V-O-U-R, means eat. You can find vor in the following words. Devour, which means to eat something very quickly. Voracious which means having a tendency to quickly eat or consume a large amount of something. Carnivore, which is an animal that eats meat. 
herbivore, which is an animal that eats plants, omnivore, which is an animal that eats everything, and finally locavore, which is a person who eats only food that grows near the place where they live instead of food produced far away. They usually do this for ecological reasons. Okay, those were some words that contain Latin roots. But in episode 19, I also talked about some words that contain even more ancient roots that come from a language called Proto-Indo-European that was first spoken in what is now Ukraine around 7,000 years ago. Proto-Indo-European speakers later separated into different groups which speak languages based on Proto-Indo-European. These are Slavic languages, Latin-based ones, Germanic ones like English, but also some languages spoken in Iran, Pakistan, and northern India. In other words, most of the languages of Eurasia, including English and Russian, developed from a single source language, and you can find common um, parts of, of words and parts of words in um, different languages that are really surprising and show the common um, origin of these languages. So you can find Proto-Indo-European roots in both English and Russian. One root, bur, which is spelled B-R, means carry, and it can be found in the following words. Burden, so that the R has shifted a little bit, it's moved inside of the word. So a burden is something that is so heavy that it's difficult to carry. Then we also have the word born, like she was born in 1985, and embarrassed. So embarrassed is how you feel when you've done something that makes other people have a lower opinion of you. For example, you feel embarrassed when you talk to your brother's girlfriend and you realize you're using not her name, but the name of, um, of his ex. So burden, born, embarrassed. That's only three words, but since Proto-Indo-European was spoken thousands of years ago, sometimes the letter B in the root has changed into a P or an F. The change to P gives us the word pregnant, uh, gives us the words, sorry, pregnant and also porter. A porter is a person who carries your bags for you at a hotel. The change to F also gives us the word freight, that's spelled F-R-E-I-G-H-T, freight, and freight is a large amount of goods that is being transported by train, boat, truck, or whatever, possibly a donkey or a horse. The change to F from B also gives us the word freighter, which is a boat that carries freight. If you like the topic of ancient root words, then you might also listen to episode 34, which is Deep Dive into Proto-Indo-European Roots. Episode 34 even includes PDFs with exercises to help you learn words with another interesting Proto-Indo-European root that I haven't talked about here. Let's go to episode one. This was a really great episode for me. It was really exciting to record it, and it really summarized a lot of things that I had thought about um, while teaching over the years. So, everyone who, uh, the, the, sorry, the title is um, Understanding Speech and Text for Better English. So, everyone who studies English wants to make fewer mistakes in grammar, vocabulary, and pronunciation. Mistakes happen when people speak or write, but mistakes are often much deeper than a momentary event that happens at the time of speaking. The real source for mistakes is often in students' poor understanding of input or what they listen to and read. If you want correct output, you need to understand input in detail. Now I will talk about some of the details that students miss and that lead to mistakes in output. First, students can't hear the difference between similar sounds. For example, they can't hear the difference between singular man, like one man, and plural men, like ten men. One man, ten men. Or they can't hear the difference between bot, like short for robot, and but, like I want to work but I'm sick. So bot, like a chat bot, and but, like I want to work but I'm sick. 
This is a really basic type of problem that can hurt listening comprehension so much that students just don't advance beyond, at best, an A2 level of English. Now, this problem distinguishing between similar sounds also causes a second problem with reading. If you can't hear the difference between a in cat and a uh in cut, then the letters a and u don't mean much and you can confuse the words when you see them on the page. This stops students from understanding written input, including grammar exercises. Third, students often understand just one or two meanings of small words like at, some, like, or two. The problem is that in reality, these words have more than uh, just one or two meanings. One example is the difference between throw to and throw at. When you throw something to someone, you want the person to catch what you've thrown. When you throw something at someone, you want to hit and hurt that person. Fourth, many students also understand just one or two meanings of bigger words. For example, we have the word throw, which has a few meanings you probably don't know about. Now I will give you three example sentences with throw. See if you can understand the sentences and meaning of throw right away in each sentence, or if you need to guess the meaning of throw from context. First sentence, baseball players can throw a ball at 100 miles per hour. So throw here I think obviously means to cause something to fly through the air by using your arm. Second sentence out of three. Let's throw a party next Friday. Well, throw here means to organize a party and invite people to it. Third sentence. The basketball players responsible for throwing the game will not be allowed to play until next year. So here, what does throw mean? It means to try to lose a game, often because someone paid you to lose the game really different meaning than what you probably expected. So some of these meanings of throw were probably new to you. You might have guessed some meanings from context, but I did construct the examples to be as easy as possible, and you can't be sure the context will, be, will help you so much in real life. And guessing doesn't always work. Also, most words actually have far more meanings than just the three I gave just now. I talked a lot about the need to know many meanings of words in episode 2, which is called the NGSL, 2,800 words for better English. The NGSL is a list of the top 2,800 words of English with the words in order of frequency. In other words, with the most used words at the beginning. Learn those 2,800 words with several meanings or uses, which is something I will help you do in my podcast, and you'll understand English better and start to make fewer mistakes. Fifth, some people, uh, people sometimes don't understand individual words. Uh, people, sorry, people sometimes do understand individual words, but don't understand them when they're used together. For example, understanding the words in and order and to does not mean that you will understand them when they're used together in the expression in order to. Now, sixth and last, people can understand the meaning of a sentence sometimes, but think that the construction is strange. For example, you might hear the sentence, I want you to help me, and understand it, even though you personally would say it with a different construction, for example, the incorrect, I want that you help me. This difference between expectation and reality is confusing and makes people ignore details and then make mistakes in their speech and writing. The way to solve these problems is by paying close attention to what you read and listen to, and then asking questions about every single detail that you thought was surprising. In other words, you've got to pay attention a lot, and you've got to ask a lot of questions. You can ask me, or another teacher, or try to find the answers online. The bottom line is, if you are skipping parts of text and speech, and building a meaning from the parts that you do understand, it means that you're missing information and will continue to make mistakes in speech and in writing. Let's move on to episode 12, Exploring Bangladesh.
So, my younger brother, his wife, and their small son lived together in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh. So I went there at the end of 2022 and the beginning of 2023 to visit them all and celebrate the new year. Here are my general impressions. First, Bangladesh is very, very densely populated. There are about 170 million people in about 150,000 square kilometers. So there are about uh, so there are more than 1,100 people per square kilometer on average. Think about that. 1,100 people in one square kilometer. And it's even more dense in the capital city. That is like putting all of the population of the entire Russian Federation in just Orenburg, Orenburg Oblast in Russia, or all of the U.S. population in the state of New Mexico. All of that population in such a small area means that there are people wherever you go, and it is noisy and chaotic, with lots of traffic, but also lots of brightly colored street signs. Second, the people are often really smartly dressed. Bangladesh is a major center of production for textiles, and in some parts of the city you can see places where fabric, or the materials that clothing is made from, is sold. You can see trucks unloading hundreds of rolls of brightly colored fabrics into stores where clothing is manufactured. You can also order special clothing just for yourself, which is what I did when I got a really, really nice dark blue wool suit for around one quarter of what it would cost in the U.S. Third, the food is really great. I do like South Asian cuisine, but I'm not a great connoisseur of it, so I can't tell you how it's different from, say, Indian food or Nepali food. Still, there was one type of street food called fuska that really stood out. I could tell you more about it, but the best, best way to hear about it is to listen to episode 12. So, those are the seven top episodes of 2023. It really was hard to choose between some of the episodes. I obviously couldn't include everything. Still, it was like choosing between your favorite desserts or like your, your children. You know, which child do you love most? It was not an easy thing to do. So, there are some episodes that I couldn't talk about here but want to mention because they really are great and do represent what the English with Tim podcast is all about. Let me tell you several of them. Here they are. Episode 5. More Questions, less, less Rules, which is about the rules for making questions in English. Episode 8, Learning to Love the Verb Like, which is about the many different meanings of the common word like. Episode 9, How I Learned Russian, which is about what it sounds like. My experience learning Russian in Moscow and Kiev from 2006 to 2010. Episode 16, Battle of the Dictionaries, which is about the strong and weak points of different dictionaries for learning English. Episode 22, Nightmare Bike Tour, which is about a dangerous bicycle tour I undertook in Moscow region in 2009. Episode 28, 10 Fun English Idioms, is what it sounds like. Episode 38, Three Christmas Adventures, which also is what it sounds like. That was really fun to record. And finally, episode 39, Atomic Habits for English, which is about the famous psychology and self-help book, Atomic Habits, written by James Clear. In episode 39, I tell listeners how to adapt Clear's advice in order to learn English effectively. Anyways, that's all for this week. Thanks everyone for listening, and I will catch you all next week.